Hi, thank you for joining us on If She Can Do It, So Can You. My name is Amanda Creasy and I am your host. On If She Can Do It, So Can You, we aim to air a new episode on the first of every month so that we can share with you women's wisdom, wit, and grit in an empowering and inspirational podcast. I'm glad that you're here to listen as I talk to women about their trials and their triumphs while they share their stories of challenges they've overcome, barriers they've broken, stereotypes they have silenced, and dreams that they have achieved. My goal is that through each episode, you will be able to find your own strength, healing, and motivation through their success stories. Because if she can do it, so can you. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of If She Can Do It, So Can You. Today, I am joined by Crystal Harrell. Crystal is a number one best-selling author, Les Brown trained speaker, and certified coach. She's currently pursuing her PhD in public health at Yale University and serves part-time as a first lieutenant in the U.S. Army. As an academic success coach, Crystal has helped over 700 students successfully navigate through higher education using her virtual coaching company and education blog. Over the course of her academic journey, Crystal received over $670,000 in scholarships and awards, including the Bill and Melinda Gates Millennium Scholarship and the Yale School of Public Health Dean's Research Award. She shares details of her journey to help other non-traditional students get ahead in her first number one best-selling book, Crystal Clear, A Journey of Self-Discovery, From Public Housing to Ivy League. Crystal's ultimate goal is to raise awareness of the potential we all have as human beings and show that it is possible to rise against all odds and live out your wildest dreams. And you can learn more about Crystal at her website, crystalherald.com. Welcome, Crystal. Thank you so much, Amanda. <laughs> yes, I'm really happy to have you here today. And um, you, you listeners would not know this, but Crystal and I had navigated I don't, probably close to an hour's worth of technical difficulties a week and a half ago. And, and we ended up having to reschedule this interview and Crystal was incredibly gracious throughout the whole process. Um, so I know this is going to be an interview that, that you all will enjoy very much. It's totally fine. I know like tech stuff, it's just like, it, you really can never tell sometimes. But, oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, what didn't help was the fact that I had left my laptop on my car roof and driven away and it was somewhere in Maryland. So I was oh. using different devices and trying to figure it out and um, and I didn't figure it out, but we're good today. So that's the yeah. good <laughs> Did you get the laptop that you wanted? I've got one. Yes. 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 Which is why <laughs> we're able to do this so smoothly now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let's start with your book, because I think that's something that should really be a pride point for you. You've written this number one best-selling book. Um, what inspired you to write the book? Um, the first thing that inspired me was my mom. Um, when I was about 23, I was just going through a really like difficult time um, trying to get my first master's degree. And uh, students kept reaching out to me, like wanting to know my story. Like, how did I go from where I started in like rural Alabama being in public housing apartments to where I am now? Um, and just like along my educational journey, they just had questions. And so I was telling my mom, like, mom, they, you know, students keep, you know, asking me questions. I don't really have time to like answer all of them. And she was like, put it in a book, name it crystal clear, and um, then you'll do well. And so I, I, it took me some years to actually like, fi- like to actually finish it. Um, and then when I met Les Brown in 2020, the first question he asked me after I told him my story was, do you have a book? And it was at that moment, I was like, bye, I'm just going to write it. Um, so it took about two weeks uh, to write it and finally wow. published it. And then it reached bestseller. <laughs> 
Wow. That's funny that it only took you two weeks because I was just thinking, wow, she didn't have time to answer students' questions because so many were approaching her, but how would she have time to write a book? Because often a book can be a very long process. So tell us about those two weeks. How did you manage to churn out a number one bestseller in such a short amount of time? All the writers out there listening are very jealous, I'm sure, including well, myself. <laughs> it's actually like, it's a technique and it's so crazy because like, it just goes to this like show like how crazy like the mindset is because um, the, the I, I think it was probably like two years after my mom first mentioned it, I was just kind of struggling. So I had like an outline and I had like maybe a few paragraphs typed up <laughs> and I was like, mom, I have no idea how to write a book and so I just kind of like stopped and then what happened in 2020 as we all know like the pandemic hit and so everything was online like I was still taking classes I was still a full-time doctoral student but I was going into my winter break around this time so this was like around December it was December 16th when I finally met Les Brown and had the opportunity to show uh, tell him my story um and then at that point I was like okay um, I'm just going to write it. And so, you know how like things start um, happening once you finally make a decision yes. to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was kind of like that. It was like, um, I finally decided to do it. And I guess like my reticular activating system or my inner guidance, whatever you choose to <laughs> call it, like, it was just like, okay, um, here's some opportunities. So I got an email for a publishing coach, um, through self-publishing school and they were helping authors write books in 90 days. And so I was like, in the end, it was a guaranteed bestseller. So I really had nothing to lose. Um, and so I decided to sell my TV. I used what income I got from that to invest in my, my publishing coach. Um, and then I just had a writing schedule every single day before I did anything, before I got on social media, before um, I did anything else, before I ate. <laughs> I had to write a certain amount of words each day. Um, and so, and then I created like a, um, kind of like a sanctuary inside of my closet. Um, to really I love help that. Yeah. You wrote the book and you wrote the best-selling book in your closet. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yes. <laughs> so that's pretty much how it was. It was one, deciding that I was going to do it. Two, um, finding ways to invest um, in someone who can guide me through the process. And three, just showing up every day. And then once I did that, it kind of just, you know, happened. <laughs> yeah. How many words did you write a day? Do you remember what the prescription was? I don't remember. I do remember that the, so for my publishing coach day, basically said like a nonfiction book was between 45,000 and 75,000 words. And so I knew that I was probably going to do somewhere between that. So I divided probably, I think it was probably like 50,000 words. I divided that by how many days I had to finish mm-hmm. it at the t- those two weeks. And I had to write that number of words each day. <laughs> wow. I mean, having that number ahead of you can be really motivating. When I, um, wrote the novel manuscript that I'm currently uh, signed to publish with the small press. And nice. I was first writing. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Yes. <laughs> um, but when I first started writing it, I was writing it under an instructor at a visual arts center of Richmond here where I am in Richmond. Mm-hmm. And we got close to the end of this year long novel writing course. And my instructor said, you know, if you write, I think it was 900 words, if you write 900 words a day for the rest of the class, you will finish. And so I did like you every day. I I didn't do that. It has to be in the morning because I get up for 5 a.m. I get up at 5 a.m. for work. So like I wasn't willing to get up earlier than that. Right. (laughs) Um, But it was just on my agenda every day. At some point during that day, I was going to write at least 900 words. Um, and that's what I did. And I finished before the class ended and the class only had a few weeks left at that point. So nice. It definitely is that word count. Would you like, it was just like having, like you said, like having a certain amount of words that you needed to write each day. Like that was your motivating factor because you're like, I have to get this done. Right. It's I think it was like in at work at, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher by day. We have Mm. to do these smart goals. Mm. Um, and so that's the measurable, measurable part of the goal, right? When you have in your head, like I have to do at least this much and then I can stop. 
or on the rare occasion that the muse is with me, I could keep going. <laughs> you yes. know, I have time. I can keep going. Yes. I'm actually reading this book. I don't know if I can. Um, it's called Writing a Dissertation. You probably can't see it because of the uh, yeah, virtual Yeah, Oh, I see it now, though. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, it's like writing a dissertation 15 minutes a day. And basically what it's, um, I haven't finished it about halfway through, but basically what it's saying is that if you decide to write something for 15 minutes a day, whether you're just like writing down your thoughts, like writing down, like even just like writing down notes that you read, um, mm -hmm. it gets you closer to your target. Like, and sometimes you start writing for 15 minutes and then you decide that you can go longer. So it's just actually just like mentally telling yourself that I can write for 15 minutes a day. Yeah. And whether you go longer, you know, that's fine. But, you know, no shorter than 15 minutes a day. Yeah, I have taken a few workshops under a wonderful writer here in Richmond named Dolly Haggard. And she's, <laughs> she was actually one of my early um, interviews for this podcast back in the fall. And she does workshops called Life in 10 Minutes. And it's a similar mm -hmm. it's a similar concept. It's that you you set a timer for 10 minutes and you write for that 10 minutes. Yes. So I think with anything big, like a dissertation or a novel or a nonfiction book, you know, if, if it seems very intimidating, but if you can break yes. it down into digestible pieces, it's totally achievable. Yes, I agree. Now you're also in the army. Yes. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the army and the role that you play there. Yeah. So my, my dad is actually, he was a Vietnam vet. Um, and so I kind of grew up with having that military structure in the house. And then I have a lot of siblings who also went into the service. So I have a sister who's in the Air Force, brother who's in the Marines, another brother who's in the Army, um, and so forth, uh, so on and so forth. So it was kind of just like one of those things where like it it was a part of my daily life growing up. So it just seemed like the natural route to take. Mm -hmm. um, and all of my siblings went through JROTC um, in high school. And I was probably, I was the first one to actually continue it further to take it to um, the collegiate level and, and get into ROTC um, because I got a scholarship um, to go. And that was a part of the scholarship money um, that you uh, mentioned earlier. And so um, I kind of just decided to do it because it wasn't on my goal. Like I never imagined myself being in the military, um, but it's just, it happened so quickly. And I, it was something that I was just so, um, I don't know. It was just natural to me. Like, I don't want to say like, oh, I was just good at it. So I just did it. But it just came natural. <laughs> um, to me. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was like really just natural. And so I kind of followed that path. And um, I'm about five and a half years in now. Um, and so I'm, I think I'm going to transition um, out of this phase of my life, out of this identity and and really use the tools that I've learned in the military, because I've learned so much about personnel management, about um about uh, time management, like so many things about collaborating with working with the within the unit, um, so many valuable skills that, um, you know, like most people, you know, pay money to actually like get training on this. And it's like, you know, I, I got it and I got paid to do it. So it's just like, it was a really cool experience. Um, but it's definitely like something I don't really see myself doing the 20 years because I, I just have so, so many visions like for my life. <laughs> now, say so you're in the army, you're in the army, you have a best selling book, you have a yeah. blog, you have your, <laughs> yes. you're working on your um, PhD. Yeah, you have a lot of balls. Yes. To so I have to really focus down, like I have to really like narrow down my vision um, to becoming the type of person I want to be and kind of using what I already have learned to, mm -hmm. to get there. I think prioritizing those goals can be one of the hardest things that people face. It can sometimes be paralyzing. Yes. <laughs> um, my friend was reading a book. I can't remember what it was, but um, she was telling me about something she had read in it that talked about your mountain and the goal is at the top of your mountain. And when mm -hmm. opportunities present themselves, you have to ask yourself, will this opportunity get me closer to the top of the mountain to my goal 
or not um, as kind of a way to figure out how to prioritize the activities that you participate in and where you use your time and where maybe it wouldn't be such a good use of your time and energy. Yes, I agree. I think it's like that analogy, like chasing so many rabbits or something like that. <laughs> it's mm. like you, you do so you never much. catch one. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and when you love a lot of things, you, you, you know, tend to do it, but it's like, like I said, I'm kind of um, getting older and just deciding, you know, what, what do I really see? What's the ultimate vision I see for my life? And it's definitely like finishing school, finishing the military, going into um, my own business and continuing to inspire. Well, speaking of your own business, I'm assuming that alludes to your academic coaching company, at least a little bit. So tell us (laughs) a little bit about your education blog and your academic coaching company. Um, Well, it kind of started with the book, right? Like I I wrote the book and um, was using that to motivate students, but then some students would still want more one-on-one coaching. And I was just doing it for free. And (laughs) then one student, I think uh, she was from California and she reached out to me and she um, asked me like, how much do you charge? And I was like, I don't charge. I'm like, um, what a good question. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. And so I, I coached her and then I saw like the next week she kind of took what I um, was helping her with and she was teaching students the same thing that I was teaching her. And I was like, well, I can just do that. Like she's doing it. Like I can go ahead and do it. Um, and then I started to, I got certified um, through George Washington University um, to become an academic success coach. And so I kind of took my certification and decided to start my own uh, virtual company during the pandemic. And then I realized that one-on-one coaching um, and still group coaching was still taking a lot while I was trying to finish my dissertation. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to create a blog um, because I wanted to, one, um, consistently push out content that was helpful to college students and also to um, build a backbone for my business that was going to allow me to evolve and change as I did. Um, and so that was the the best thing. So I ended up getting a coach, a blogging coach, um, who had scaled his uh, his blogging business to over seven figures. And um, he's wow. walking me through the process now of like building that. And it's taking a lot of energy. <laughs> but I'm it's sure. <laughs> I'm sure it is a lot of mental energy, a lot of creative energy. Yes. Um, so the blog, is that live already? Can people find it from your website yet? Or is it still a work in progress? No, it's it's definitely live. I've been publishing consistently since March uh, 29th. Congratulations. Um, thank you. It finally got monetized because I, I was just like really trying to like just get it up and running. Um, and so I had to have like at least 20 articles. I had to have like my main pages. There were like some um, technical things I had to do behind the scenes. I had to learn SEO, learn content yeah. marketing, all these things that I had to learn. Um, and so the, it, you know, got monetized and I was able to, you know, now I'm just doing the consistently p- uh, push out content once a week mm-hmm. um, until I can take my blog full time. Wow. You are incredibly self-motivated. <laughs> I'm, <Sometimes>. very <laughs> I'm very impressed. Um, so kind of still along the lines of your educational blog and your coaching mm-hmm. company, in your bio, you use the phrase non-traditional students. Yes. So can you help us understand what is meant by that term or how you would define a non-traditional student? Yeah, non-traditional students are usually class- classified as first-generation low-income students. Mm-hmm. So these are students whose parents did not attend a four-year college or university, um, students who come from um, usually disadvantaged minority backgrounds, um, and this is their first experience with um, academia and higher education. And so um, I support these students because I am one of them. <laughs> um, and I understood that you don't know what you don't know. And when you're trying to go through this process blindly without mentorship, without guidance, it makes it so much harder. 
Um, and so I want to um, give to students what's been given to me, which was mentorship and guidance. And um, I failed a lot. I got rejected from over half a dozen schools before getting into Yale. Um, and so if I could teach students something that helped me, then I feel like I've, I've done um, I, like the information and the lessons were worth it. <laughs> yeah. So your dream um, with your business and the, and the goal you're kind of choosing to pursue is to help other people realize their dreams and the possibility of achieving them is real. What obstacles seemed to stand in your way back then and how did you prevail against them? I think I would say that's a really good question, by the way. <laughs> I've been looking forward to asking it since we started. Yes. Um, I would say like the main thing. So I, I kind of always had a vision, right? And I was just listening to this today. Um, um, motivational speakers talking about keeping the vision. Um, I always had a vision for the type of life I wanted to live. Like I said, I grew up in poverty. I was born one of 10 in public housing apartments. And I always knew that I wanted more. Um, and so my vision for more was me thriving like the people I saw, like Les Brown, like Lisa Nichols, who had come from these disadvantaged um, situations and they created a beautiful life because they had the right mindset. Um, and so I would say like having that vision was was definitely good, but I still had no, 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 I didn't have the knowledge to know how to get there. Um, and I would say that was the biggest obstacle was not knowing what to do. Um, and how I navigated that was asking people who had already done what I was trying to do, asking for their mentorship. And people are willing to help you if you know where you're going, more more so if you just ask them, like, can you just tell me what to do? Um, is, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, 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 that does make sense. So, it does. Um, I'm very interested in this, like the teacher side of me is very interested in this because I see a lot of different kinds of students. I mean, I've taught everything from collaborative to academic to honors. Yes. So I, yeah, I see very different levels of motivation, very different backgrounds, very different mm -hmm. um, privileges and disadvantages. And so some of the students who come from more challenging backgrounds, who have had less exposure to people who have gone to college and things like that, they don't always even consider that it would be an option for them because they haven't seen that example in their own lives. And it feels abstract and it feels unreachable. Um, it's not something they consider. So what piece of advice would you give to a student who maybe never even thought that uh, a collegiate path was possible? Um, I, it's very, um, so it's very, it's a very um, complex answer for that because yeah, yeah. Take there, time. Take time. <laughs> there, there's so many different paths that you can take um, if you are this type of student um, and you didn't see that in your environment, because like I said, I, I identify with that, but I also had, uh, I mean, I'm a millennial, so the internet came in like midway, like when I, in my childhood. So I, you know, but Gen Z, like, you know, you guys have like something that we didn't have, like you have access to a phone mm -hmm. and on your phone, you have all the information, all the people that you could possibly, um, need to, to actually like see. Um, but the thing is, it's like, you have to be very particular about what you consume and, and so I say, focus on finding people. If you're going to use your phone, like focus on finding people on YouTube who are motivating. Like there's so many motivational speakers out there who come from nothing and created a beautiful life. I've mentioned a few. Um, and there's so many others that I haven't mentioned or so many others that you probably will never hear about. Um, but it, it starts with you deciding like what type of information do you want to consume? Um, because it's so easy to keep the momentum of like, you know, I would say like, you know, that poverty mindset and so easy to keep the momentum of like um, not having enough and, and being in a state of lack. But that's 
that's not the path that you have to choose. Like you have a choice. Um, and so I, you know, I would say like, just decide like what type of life do you want? And once you decide, you find people who have done that and you model them, you model their behavior. I think that could almost, almost be a mantra that sums up everything you just said. You have a choice. Yes. Um, you have a choice as to what you consume on the internet. You have a choice as to how you use your phone productively or not. Yes. You have a choice about the path that you take in your life. And, and you just need to ask yourself every time you're presented with one of these choices, which one is going to serve me the best? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that I don't, you know, entirely, um, like I don't blame at all, especially, but it's, it's, it's very difficult sometimes for non-traditional students, especially because, um, you are kind of socialized to believe that we don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And so breaking that paradigm and, and shifting that paradigm to, to one of understanding, like you said, like you definitely do have a choice, even if no one is telling you that, um, you're, you're very blessed if you do have someone mentoring you and showing you that there's a way out. Um, but understand that, you know, even if you don't, hear it if you never hear it you do have a choice you know yeah did your um you said you're one of 10 i know yes. your mother was obviously supportive because she yes. was the one who told you to write the book and your dad was in the military and you followed mm-hmm. that uh path as well so i'm assuming he was supportive what mm-hmm. did your siblings think um and where did you fall in that 10 like <laughs> did you say you may have said and i might have missed it i i don't know i don't think i said but I, i'm number seven of okay uh, okay yeah so you're sort of like a middle child verging on the youngest <laughs> Yeah. So like, it's funny because the way my family is broken up, we have like the older five and the younger five. Mm. Um, and so I, they would say that I'm one of the younger five. That's hilarious. Is yeah. there a big gap between the first five and the second five? No, we're all about two years apart. Okay. So it's just that five and five is a nice even split. Yes. Okay. So you're like the middle child of the second five. Yes. So what was your sibling's reaction? Um, did they, did seeing you do this motivate them? Were they resentful? Were they proud? Were they, I'm sure there were all different reactions across the board. Yeah, I think it's different because like what my older siblings, they were raised in a different, like they were just a different generation. Mm -hmm. Um, and my older siblings, the older five were raised with my dad and the younger set, um, which is the set that I'm a part of, we lost my dad kind of midway through. And Mm -hmm. so we, we were raised almost in like two different, I, even though we were all raised in the same household Mm -hmm. because of what happened, that um, major life event that happened with my dad, you know, transitioning uh it really changed a lot for our family and so um i think my the older set kind of like they kind of got married very early they started having children uh earlier so they just are in a different mindset Mm -hmm. like my my the second set um they are more willing to hear a lot of the things that i talk about and like you know my little sister rachel i work with her helping her get into grad school um, she traveled to Thailand with me when me and my my oh. partner went last year or earlier this year, actually. Um, and so she's kind of been exposed to this life of like, you don't have to settle. Like you do have a choice on what life you decide to live. Um, and then I have an older sister when, you know, after my dad passed away, she kind of um, took a path that was a little self-destructive and she's finding her way back now. Um, so it's just like, even though we were all raised in the same household, we all experienced life differently, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you said that your older siblings, some of them are married with children. Do you, do you think your nieces and nephews look up to you and the path that you've chosen? It's funny because <laughs> some of them have read my book. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so great. That is great. Yes. And my, my nephew, Caleb, which is my, she's the 
third, she's the second oldest uh, girl in the family. Um, her son, Caleb, uh, read it in like, I think he said two days. Oh, wow. And, well, you yeah. wrote it in two weeks. So yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's, it's part of like a four hour read. I would say uh-huh. four and a half hour read. Um, and, and he called me and was just asking me about different parts of the book. And it was just like, so like amazing because he was like, I think he's like 11. Oh, wow. Um, and, and I just remember him being so small. And now he's like reading and talking to me about the book. And then I have another nephew and he's always like watching my YouTube videos and like That's telling me it's <laughs> funny. They're like, look, our auntie wrote a book and she's famous. <laughs> yeah. I only nephew. have like 2000 subscribers. So oh. It's okay. That's great though. I mean, you didn't start that long ago. So 2000, yeah. if you're helping one of those 2000, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of information this day and age about, well, I, I don't know, information is not the right word. I would almost say maybe discussion. There's yes. a lot of discussion this day and age about if college is really that advantageous or even that necessary for most people. I mean, obviously, if you want a PhD, you're following a very prescribed path, you have to have that PhD to yes. achieve whatever the goal is you want. But what do you see in general, as the advantages of a college education? Mm, that's these questions are so good because I, <laughs> I have so many. I'm a very curious soul. Same. I think that's why, like, I identify with you so much because mm-hmm. like, I love I love asking questions. Me but too. Um, <laughs> the major thing is because I get this question a lot, but it's like, no, you don't have to go to college to be successful. Um, this is why I started with, you know, you have to have your vision at the forefront of your mind because I knew I wanted to become a doctor. I didn't, I thought I would be a medical doctor, but you know, you know, things change, but you know, being an academic doctor is, it's for me, it's like, it's okay. It's a different path, but it's one that my, my soul aligns with. Um, and so I always had a vision of like, I wanted to go through the traditional educational system because, um, I love learning. And you don't have to, even if you do love learning, you don't have to have a college degree. Um, but I knew this is what I wanted. This was my path. Um, and so I would say like, no, you don't have to um, go to college to be successful, but you do have to be educated. You can talk to any successful person. They all have an education, whether it's traditional or not. Mm-hmm. They all either read books or listen to people who know what they're talking about. Um, and so I would say that the benefits of college is that it gives you credentials, right? Like, even though I realized when I got my second degree, I was like, you know, I, I probably don't need all of this um, to, to, <laughs> to have these conversations with people, but it, it was a part of my story. Um, and so I would say like, you know, that's probably one benefit is that, um, we live in a society where sometimes people do look at your credentials, even though it doesn't make you better than anyone. It doesn't make you smarter than anyone. Um, it's just a piece of paper. Um, but in society, in the society that we live in, it, it means something to some corporations or some institutions. So, yeah, that that for me was probably the biggest thing. And because I looked at it as a key, like my mentor always told me, like having a Ph.D. would be um, a key that unlocks you know, certain doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I kind of look at it as that it's just a tool. Anything that you use, um, these titles, your job is a tool to get. Um, to the type of life that you want or to inspire the type of people that you want to inspire. And that's the way I I, I look at it. That is a phenomenal answer. I mean, it really gets back to the core of what we were saying about having a choice and Mm -hmm. prioritizing your goals. Like you may not need a college education. It depends on what your ultimate lifestyle goal is, what your ultimate Mm -hmm. career goal is. Um, And of course you can go to college at any time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have to go right out of high school if you're not prepared. There are plenty of people who go after they've served in the military or after they're already working full time. I got my master's degree after I'd already been teaching for 
maybe three years. Yes. Um, I finished my bachelor's and I was like, I am done with school except yes. teaching it. And then a few years in, I was like, I really miss school kind mm-hmm. of like being a student. So I'm going to get my master's. Um, and yes. I just did it simultaneously. And, and that is fine too. It's not, I wouldn't, it's different. It's, it's a little different, not in mm-hmm. my world, but in a lot of worlds to come to college later in life, but people do it. And it is a possibility. All the time. I've been in classes with people who have been in the workforce for years. And then I'm I'm actually te- teaching for a class now here at Yale where every I have there's doctors in the class, literally wow. like medical doctors. And they're like sitting in the classroom. Um, and so it just like you said, everyone comes from different walks of life and they don't have a like a date like of how long it took you to get a degree or when you right. got one degree. Like it's it's a degree like it's just, you know, like I said, like the date is on there when you finish. But it's, it's up to you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so we've talked quite a bit about your book and the ideas in your book. Would you uh, be willing to share an excerpt, a passage with us from your book? Okay. So this passage is from the first chapter of my book um, and it's titled Know Your Roots. And I wrote this chapter as a tribute to my ancestry. I spent six years learning about where I came from um, because in order to know where you come from, in order to know where you're going, you have to know where you've been. Um, So this is the last um, passage from chapter one. It says, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. Every incident in our life gets us even closer to the fullest expression of who we are meant to be. I wish I could tell you why bad and painful situations happen, but I do not have the answer for that. What I do know is that life is abundant and no isolated event can keep us from enjoying the inexhaustible resources of the universe. The opportunity to grow from any situation is ever present if you know where to look. Do you know how the roots of redwood trees grow? They have a very unique and complex root system. Redwood trees are enormous. They grow as tall as a 35-story building and come from seeds no bigger than the seed of a tomato. Despite the tree size, the roots grow only about 6 to 12 feet deep. They are able to stand so tall because their shallow roots intertwine with the roots of the other redwoods surrounding them. They support each other. I think if humanity truly understood how connected we all are, we would learn a lot from these trees. We could all go further in life when we take advantage of the interconnectedness of our ancestry. We are all different, but not separate. I love that. I love that (laughs) metaphor. That was very, um, very transcendent and beautiful. I did not know that about redwood trees. That's fascinating. (laughs) That's fascinating. That was a beautiful passage. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Now, are there any questions that I didn't ask you that you wish I had asked? Or is there anything that you want to discuss that we haven't yet discussed? Um, I don't think so. I would say um, just like the biggest thing I try to do is bring self-awareness to academia because we are taught um, what to think, but we're not really taught how to think. And so I'm really trying to do my part in in innovating and, and changing that that paradigm within higher education. Um, and so the biggest thing that we we have to have um, as academics is we have to have self-awareness and understand that um, when you know who you are, no one can ignore you. Oh, I love that. That's quotable. When you know who you are, no one can ignore you. <laughs> That's great. That's beautiful. You That's another mantra. Mantra. You have <laughs> yeah. a choice. And when you know who you are, no one can ignore you. At least fall yourself. Yeah. <laughs> this is for my own personal space. I spent so yeah. many years trying to approve myself, improve my worth. And when I realized that um, it started with me, it started with um, me just deciding that I was worthy and that I was already enough. Um, and I proceeded in that in that manner. And so getting a degree kind of changed 
first it was out of desperation. Like I need this degree because I need to prove myself. I need to be um, this exceptional person to, I don't need it. This is a tool to inspire others to create a life that I have always wanted. Um, and so that's pretty much how that mindset should, um, was really beneficial. Yeah, that's really a reframing of your situation. How did you come to that? I mean, I, th- I feel like it sounds so easy, like, oh, I just realized <laughs> it, but I know it wasn't. <laughs> I was in the state of like extreme suffering. Um, and if you've ever read um, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, he talks about how his suffering kind of um, led him to a state of understanding why um, being so present is is um, necessary. Um, but I was, like I said, I was 23 and I was like, you know, when I get my degree, I'm going to be happy. And I walked across that stage and I felt even more miserable than, than I had before. And I decided that um, I was going to try to figure out who I really am because I remember myself as a child and I was so happy and so free. And I was like, well, if that's who we really are, the childhood version of yourself is like your truest expression of who you really are. Who is this person that I'm sitting with who is so miserable and so anxious and was having anxiety and panic attacks, you know, all over the place. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I decided that I was going to take that journey to figure out who I really am. And it was extremely uncomfortable to face myself and to realize that um, I was realized the part that I was doing in my own suffering, not blaming myself, but just realizing that I was playing a part in um, this version of myself that I was co-creating. Um, and so I decided to take a different path. And that's when I got into therapy and mental health, um, started prioritizing my mental health and my well-being and my life completely um, changed in that moment. I think it can be very empowering to realize the part that you play in your own suffering. Like you said, not to blame yes. yourself because it's not necessarily your fault. But when you realize that you have a role in it, you can change the way you're playing that role. Absolutely. Because like self, like blaming other people, blaming things and blaming situations um, takes your power away. Right. And so when you stop blaming people or you stop blaming situations, you realize that everything that happened is it's not happening in the moment. Um, and but you have a way to think about it that can totally like transform your life. And so I, I was reading Dale Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People when he said that the first thing we have to do is release blame and criticism and not just from other people, but from yourself. And that was such a powerful mindset uh, shift for me because I was like, oh, my God, like I was blaming people and blaming situations I didn't even know. Um, and so it really like caused me to, to really look at myself and look at my situation. It seems like too, that you really did more than just read these ideas. You succeeded in like taking them to heart, living them, you, and really making them part of your, um, the way you see the world, I guess. It seems like it's part of you now. Yeah. It, it takes time. Right. Cause I mean, the, the person I am today is definitely not the same person that I was when I was 20 or 23. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't as confident. I wasn't as as self-actualized. It took me overcoming situations and realizing that those situations where I was rejected, where I was told that I wasn't good enough, where I could never accomplish my goal. um, It took me realizing that I didn't, those moments didn't kill me. Um, I'm still here and I survived it and I was stronger because of it. And now looking forward, I'm like, okay, whatever obstacle is coming, like if I survived it in the past, like I can definitely do it again. All I have to do is get stronger along the way and it's like a video game because as you rise up in levels like obviously it's not going to get easier (laughs) right right it's better to get harder everything gets more challenging but you you gain more skills as you meet those challenges yeah Yeah. that is that is 100 percent correct (laughs) 
Well, you are amazing and strong, and I have really enjoyed our conversation this morning. Thank you for taking the time twice to uh, to meet with me. Thank you so much, Amanda, for having me. This has been a, a honestly a phenomenal time, and I'm just so grateful that you allowed me to share your space. Of course, yeah. And for listeners, don't forget that Crystal's book is available. You can visit her website, crystalherald.com. I will put all of that on Instagram and on the show notes. So everyone will be able to access it when this episode drops. And it sounds like we all need to check it out. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of If She Can Do It, So Can You. If you like what you heard, please consider making a donation to support our podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash if she can do it. That's buymeacoffee.com backslash I-F-S-H-E-C-A-N-D-O-I-T-S. Your donation supports the uplifting and empowering content that we produce. If you know an amazing woman who you think we should feature on a future episode of If She Can Do It, So Can You, please shoot me an email at ifshecandoitsocanyou at gmail.com. I also invite you to check out our website, if she can do it, so can you, wordpress.com and pay us a visit on Instagram at if she can do it, so can you. Big thanks goes out to Brad Fire of Rad Fire Productions for editing this podcast. It would absolutely not be possible without his editing expertise. Another big thanks goes out to Ashley Unger, who produces all the artwork for this podcast. I look forward to seeing you on our next episode on the first of next month. And remember, if she can do it, so can you.